Grace, peace, and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we continue in our series about lifting up holy hands of prayer, as we discover, as we explore, as we kind of figure out what does it mean to be praying at all times and in all places? What does it look like to actually lift up holy hands of prayer? What does it mean to engage the people in our own families, our workplaces, and our community? What does it actually mean for God's people to lift up holy hands of prayer, to actually pray for other people? We think about it, we hear the text, and what we come to a conclusion is is that God would have us pray at all times and in all places for everyone. That God's greatest desire is that everyone come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what it is about Christians. I don't know if if at times we hear that everyone should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and we begin in our own minds to make uh, categories of who everyone is, as if the word everyone didn't include everyone. I, I mean, it amazes me. For instance, I meet people during the week, and a conversation goes somewhat like this, maybe similar to this. Maybe you've had these similar conversations. Hey, how are you? I'm doing fine. Good to meet you. Are you new to the area? No, no, we've been here for a while. Oh, really? You have a home church? Well, I used to. Oh, and Christians, we hear that, oh, we used to, and we're like, well, we don't want to make them feel bad for not going to church. So we don't engage any further. Oh, I used to. And yet there's got to be a story there. Because if you dig a little bit further, how come you used to? Well, there was a lot of pain. There was upheaval in our church, and I just didn't want any part of that. Or, you know what? And this was told to me last week. When I went through a divorce, my church told me that this was not the place for them. Really? Your church, the friends, the people you worship with told you that that church wasn't the place for a divorced person? Or maybe the conversation continues a little bit further. It says, well, I I used to go. Oh, really? Do you mind telling me about that? Well, it was kind of contentious. Things were kind of bad. And and, uh, Well, how did you work through that? How did you resolve that? We didn't. We just left. It was easier that way. It was easier to what? It was easier to not get up on a Sunday morning on a glorious spring day with three or four inches of ice and snow all over the... I mean, it was easier than that? Okay, yeah, this might not be the best day to bring a weather up. That's when you begin to realize, if you engage people that are around you, I'm telling you, you're going to find out and you're going to discover that people hold on to a lot of hurts as excuse for why they don't go to church. Some of it, I mean, very genuine. I I get it. When when you've got siblings that you just don't even want to be around, or those siblings don't want to be around you, that can create division in church. When your kids that are grown up, they go away and they say, I don't want any more to do with church. And then it makes parents wonder and question sometimes, did, did we do right? I mean, our, our kid wants nothing to do with church. My point this morning is, is that there are a lot of, of people that fall into the category of lost. Lost. 
It's not just everyone that has outright put their foot in the ground and said, I do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay? I mean, there are plenty of those people in our community. And they are part of the lost for whom we pray. There are plenty of people that want nothing to do. Well, I'm too smart for religion. I'm too smart. You dumb Christians. You just blindly follow. You're just sheep. Yeah, yeah, we're sheep. Yeah. I mean, it says so right here, right? There's outright, overt, I'm against God and Christianity. There's also a subset of people that grew up in faith, that grew up in the church, and for whatever reason, whether legitimate or not, they've been hurt. Or else their own sin gets in the way, and they've been told by other people, you're not welcome here. It's the drunk or the addict. It's the divorced. It's the one that screws up royally with their sin in public. And for whatever reason, the church, God love it, comes down and starts to wag its finger. And then there's the group of those that, that say, you know, I'd like to discover, I'd like to know, I'd like to know more, but I just, I don't, I don't know how to act or react I don't know, do, I mean, do you have to wear a suit do, when you come, I mean, do you have to look nice or can I just wear my flip-flops? And there's genuine questions. And, and in those three groups, here's the problem that I see with the church today. That the greatest sticking point in all three of those categories is us. It's the church. The, the part of the greatest sticking point is this idea, this self-righteousness that says, well, we've been going to church and doing it right. In fact, one Sunday in the spring of May 15, it was icy and cold, and we braved the elements. We are so holy. The picture is, is that what Christians have a tendency to do is they look out into the sea that is around them, and they see people who believe. A very small, faith is a mustard seed, they're in the life raft, right? They're saved. But they themselves, well, I'm not in the life raft with you, I'm on the big boat. We wear our tuxedos to dinner, and we get a five-course meal because we, we've got it going. And the problem is, we're no different. We're absolutely no different. We all struggle with sin. We all have challenges. And if we ever think for a minute that we're anywhere else but in the lifeboat, then it's no wonder that our witness to the rest of the world falls on deaf ears. It is no wonder that when we read this text from 1 Timothy, he says, I want all men to be saved. We go, well, all men that are willing to do what God wants and clean their life up and da-da-da, and we begin to throw rules and laws and all sorts of things rather than just understand the direct context of the scripture. God goes, I want everyone to be saved. This week I uh, had a Skype counseling session with a couple that I did uh, their wedding four years ago. 
He's an Air Force Academy grad, hard charging, right? I'm going to conquer. I'm going to do everything right. And I spit and polish, right? And she's this little southern belle, right? And she's, hey, whatever my husband needs. And they're doing life together. They found a church, and they've got friends. And they're, I mean, they're just, they're, they're headed that way, right? I mean, they're up and up and up. And they called, and they said, we have got some serious problems in our marriage. I said, all right, here's, here's a Skype counseling session. The beauty with Skype is that I get to look at them on the computer, and every time they ask a question I don't know the answer to, I'm sitting there Googling that thing. I'm looking right in their eye, right? I'm like, I have no idea, <laughs> all right? I said, what's, what's going on? She looks over at him, and he says, tell him. She said, um, he drinks too much. And when we're in Republic, I, I, um, I get embarrassed. And I'm afraid of what he'll do. And I asked him, I said, is this accurate? Is this true? And he said, it is. I'm very sorry. And I said, well, sorry, I mean, I appreciate it, but she's probably heard it, what, 20, 30, 100, 1,000 times? Yes, sir, Pastor Dyer, she's heard it 1,000 times. So what are we going to do? He goes, I, I, I don't know. I was hoping you could, like, you know, d- help me figure out how to be a man of my word. I said, well, have you set up some limits? Maybe, maybe some limits. And she said, yeah, Pastor Dyer, we've done that. We, we have a three-drink maximum. We go out and, and we count each other's drinks. We look at each other and we go, that's number three. We're cut up. Because when it gets to number four, that's when it goes haywire. And so we're going to stop it off at number three. And I said, awesome, that's great. How's that working? It's not. I said, how many times has it not worked? She said, three times in the last month. I said, did you try to bump it back down to two? Oh, yeah, we bumped it back down to two. We only have two drinks. That's it, because now we're really far away. And I said, "Uh uh-huh, and what happened? He snuck off and had four more. I said, yeah. I said, let me me just kind of cut this short for you here real quick. I looked at the husband, and I said, "Um, you're an alcoholic. No, no, Pastor, I'm, I'm a binge drinker. I, I, I am not drunk all the time. I don't continue, you know, I don't, I don't hide vodka away. I'm not, I, I said, you're an alcoholic. And by then, I'd, I'd Googled armed forces and the AA. And their opening paragraph in their pamphlet is beautiful as best as I can quote to you. You are not an alcoholic because of what you drink, how much you drink, or where you drink it. You are an alcoholic because the people in your life are disturbed or upset or hurt when you drink. He said, yeah. I said, You need to find the next AA meeting and go. I can't. I won't. 
You don't understand. This could be the end of my career. If other people get out, that I will not. I don't want to lie to you and tell you I will so that I, you can feel good. I said, this is not about me feeling good. I told his wife she needs to go to a support group as well. She's ready. He's not. They're wonderful believers. Do you understand what I'm talking about? If we ever for a minute think that as Christians we somehow have got it all figured out or that our sin doesn't easily entangle or that for a minute we think that real Christians don't have these kinds of problems. If we ever for a minute think that we are not in the boat that everybody else is in, that we need a Savior, that we need a gracious God, that we are in need of somebody to walk beside us just as much as the next guy. Do you understand why Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. Everyone! That's believer and unbeliever alike because we're in the same boat. We're, we're all caught up in sin and we all need someone praying for us. Now here this morning, uh, today, we're, you know, some of you, you're in church here because uh, it's Mother's Day. I get it, okay? I know how it works. But I want you to realize that you have some of the best prayer champs in this world. And part of Mother's Day celebration is celebrating those moms who pray. I think I've shared this story before. As a teenager, I would come home usually around my curfew time, and my mom. <laughs> would be kneeling next to the couch, praying fervently <laughs> for her son. That's my image of coming home. It didn't matter what I'd been doing. <laughs> I knew that's where my mom would be. You see, when Paul says, I urge, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, it's because Paul realizes we're all in the same boat. And, and it's got to begin with us that we pray fervently, God, forgive me. Thank you for the grace given to me in my life. And, and God, I request this, that you bring that sin that is so easily entangling in my life. You bring it to the forefront so that we can get rid of it. That we can put it out there and I can no longer live in the shame of it. Because I want to live. I, I want to live in such a way that the people around me go, absolutely, there goes somebody by the grace of God. But we're scared. And I wonder if, if unbelievers, other unbelievers are scared too because they're afraid if their sin gets recognized, ooh, somebody might not like me. He says, pray for kings and all of those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. 
pray for the authorities around us. Not that they would simply just become Christians, but that they would lead righteously. And that goes for our mayor and planning commission in Monument. It goes for the regional building committee. It goes for uh, Colorado Springs mayor and the Colorado Senate and House of Representatives to our governor, to our national Senate and national House of Representatives, to our president, to all of the cabinet officers, to to everyone that, that is on a board or committee anywhere, that we would lift them up in holy hands of prayer, pray for them to lead rightly. So that why? So that there's peace godliness, quiet lives, and holiness. I'm always reminded that what a blessing we have in a quiet country we live in. In reality, right? None of you this morning, albeit there were a few without power, so this story, again, may not work this morning, thank you God, okay? But In Uganda, this little boy in a village that we were in, his first and only chore of the morning before he could walk to school, which was three miles away, was that he had to walk to water carrying a five-gallon empty jug a mile and a half. After it was full, he had to drag it home. He was eight years old. That's 40 pounds that he drug home a mile and a half every day. We live in a great country with many blessings. And I hope that our prayers are in thanksgiving for the many blessings that we have. Paul says, For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. You know, I looked out this morning, and and there is, there's always pressure on Pastor Dyer in the morning of of bad weather. Do I cancel services? Do we have services? I looked out already this morning, half of the churches in Palmer Lake, some in, in Monument, some in North Springs, had canceled services. And I thought, awesome! How can I make an announcement? We're not you, we're open! Uh, that doesn't come across very good, and... It was like, your pastor's sleeping in, I'm I'm awake. That didn't come across very good. But what I'm reminded of with the text this morning is there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope for all in Jesus Christ. You realize denominations are our making, not God's? And so what we are to be praying for is the unity of the church. Okay, I may not be able to fix what I think is wrong in another church. We may be unfixable what others think is wrong in our church. But I want to partner together and say, one faith, one Lord, one hope, one baptism for all. That's the, God's heart's desire is that all men would come to the knowledge of the truth, which is in Jesus Christ. He says, I'm not lying. I'm telling you. I'm boldly preaching and teaching. This is what I've been called to do. And you as a Christian have been called to do the exact same thing. And it may not be with a loud mouthpiece. You may not get to speak in public, but you get to do it with your hands and your feet. With the actions that have been given to you, God gives you a a pulpit, a place to speak the love of Jesus Christ into the lives of others. And then lastly this morning, I want to share this word with you. Verse 8, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. 
The previous use of man in Greek is mankind. This one is men. Ladies, it doesn't mean that you don't get to lift up holy hands. 1 Corinthians is very clear. That's part of your job and role as well. But Paul is calling out men in this text. And for a good portion of our life in this society, our families have gone the way that men have gone. And when men have quit leading, our families have followed suit. Men, you are the ones that are called to lead your family in daily devotions. You are the one to be seen on your knees in prayer. You are the one to be teaching your children, this is the way you should go. Men, you are without excuse. Well, I'm busy. I'm out of here. I'm not ever home. Excuse, 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 excuse. I don't care. The text is very clear. I expect men to lift up holy hands of prayer at all times and in all places, to be leading their families, to be saying, you know what? It is icy today. We're going to church. We need to leave 10 minutes sooner. This is what it means to be men of God who lead with holy hands of prayer. And you may say, my hands are not that holy. Well, welcome to the club. That's why God forgives. That's why God restores. That's why God renews. Men, men, on this Mother's Day, when it's seemingly about your wife, the mother of your children, I want you to understand that you have the responsibility to lift up holy hands of prayer for her in front of your children. And that as you call your mom today, or text, or Skype, I recommend a phone call, maybe Skype, that you lift up holy hands in prayer. You see, what it looks like to win monument is to have a congregation full of families led by the husbands and men who pray, who pray. And by God's grace, together, together, all men will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. All of mankind. To God's honor, to God's glory. Amen.